Welcome to Following the Way. We're a podcast that's all about following Jesus and learning his way for our lives. We believe that scripture reveals this way and invites us to follow. We're glad you're with us as we seek together. Welcome back, everyone, to this podcast. So glad that you can join us. And uh, if you happen to be new to this podcast, want to encourage you to give us a rating on iTunes or to uh, share us uh, through some of your social media platforms. And uh, just want to say how glad we are that you are with us. We've been going through the book of Hebrews uh, over the last little while, chapter by chapter, unpacking it a little bit more and looking at the incredible richness and depth of this book in the New Testament and how, although it's full of Old Testament imagery and uh, lots of things from the people of Israel and and, and how God uh, worked through the Old Testament, um, we see how it's for today as well. And so I've been really, uh, really, really encouraged and strengthened and just blessed going through this and, and just loving uh, some of the things that I've been seeing through this letter again and, and some of the things in, in scripture and trust that you've been finding the same as well. And so we get to the back half of Hebrews 12 today. And what we see here is the writer who's writing to these uh, Jewish believers of Jesus who have been displaced all over the Roman Empire. And There's a running theme throughout Hebrews, and and he's bringing them back to that again in the back half of Hebrews 12. And and I just want to remind us and and maybe go back a little bit to the earlier part of Hebrews and what some of the things were said that are threads running all throughout this letter. In in Hebrews 2, he begins that chapter by saying that he says, we must pay careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. There's a warning and, and you know, the realization that there can be in our lives an inclination to drift away from uh, closeness with Christ, really, and relationship with Christ. Not not really, he's not talking about belief here so much or, or that sort of thing. It's, it's more the the life-giving relationship with Christ. And then going on in Hebrews 3, where uh, at the beginning of that chapter, he says to fix your thoughts on Jesus. And that really aligns with the beginning of Hebrews 12, where he then uh, encourages the people to fix your eyes on Jesus, uh, to, to let, you know, let us run the race with perseverance and getting our eyes onto Jesus as we do that. And so, there's this theme of, of don't fall away, don't drift away, don't reject the message, don't harden your hearts to the things of God, get your thoughts on Jesus, get your eyes on Jesus. And the back half of Hebrews 12 is got a lot of um, Old Testament um, imagery, a lot of Old Testament connections. There's there's a lot of uh, some of the, the various well-known accounts in the story of God's people that the writer is linking back to uh, in an effort to remind the people not to let go of what they have in Christ. And so he begins, and I'm going to read starting at verse 14. He says, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. 
See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. So I want to just pause there and and unpack this a little bit more. The writer is encouraging the people of God of how we conduct ourselves. You know, holiness is not just something that we receive through Christ in the righteousness of Christ, but holiness is also something that we must pursue. And holiness is something that is, you know, is it's not talk, talked about a lot um, in our culture. It's, it's something that we kind of just push to the side and we talk a lot more about the grace of God and the love of God and, and the acceptance that he has for us. But we also need to understand that there's other aspects to our relationship with God. And one of those is the pursuit of holiness. And the writer just sort of lays it all out here where he's like, without holiness in our lives, without that pursuit of holiness. And I think the reason for that is because holiness is just one of the characteristics of the people of God. It's, it's, it's not even so much a matter of like, well, if you don't meet the mark, you're just not going to cut it. It's that holiness is just one of those default uh, positions that the people of God want to pursue. And so as the people of God, this is something that's normative for us to uh, to chase in our lives and to pursue and to uh, to go after and to uh, to have before us. And so and 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 the and the writer reminds us here once again he's like you know don't miss the grace of god and what he's talking about there is don't don't go back to legalism don't go back to the law don't go back to any sort of mindset that makes you think that you can you can earn your salvation that your works that your goodness that you know you can do enough to somehow meet the mark no, this is the free gift of God that we receive. And so we need to receive that grace, which then also calls us, though, to walk in holiness and calls us to walk in a manner where we're pursuing God and we're pursuing Christ and his ways. And then there's some really practical um, implications of this for our lives. One is bitterness and which bitterness comes from unforgiveness. And so he's getting at lack of forgiveness in the life of a Christ follower is simply uh, not something that could ever align with the way of Jesus. So dealing with unforgiveness, dealing with bitterness in our lives, which many of us can wrestle with and battle, especially if we have more of a disposition to that uh, because of our character and because of our backgrounds and our history, We've got to deal with that. And then he also brings up uh, the issue of sexual immorality. That That is just something that, again, is also um, does not fit with the people of God, does not fit with the way of Jesus or followers of God's way. Uh, and, and that's... Uh, you know, one of those things that the early church, that was, the, that was one of the things they were known... Uh, it was the physician Gaius that, that said in the first century that Christians, they were known for their belief in bodily resurrection. Uh, and they were also known, the other thing that they were known for widely across the Roman Empire was 
their refrain from um, sexual immorality in their culture. And then, and then the writer brings up, uh, he talks, he brings up the example of Esau, Esau and Jacob, where Esau, who was the firstborn of Isaac and uh, Jacob, who seemingly was quite the cook and had cooked up this stew and Esau came in and he was famished and hungry. And in that moment, just so badly wanted some of this food. And Jacob says, well, give me your birthright. And, and so as the birthright meant that he was, um, he would receive a double inheritance as the firstborn. He would be the leader of the family. That was what the birthright was. It was, it was his inheritance. And Jacob says, you know, I, w- I want you to, um, I, want, I want your birthright. If, I'll give you some of this, this fine tasting stew. And Esau does it. And, and you read that story in Genesis 25 and you're like, why would you do that, Esau? And it was, it was just that flippant in the moment decisions to throw away something so valuable for really just a moment of pleasure. And that's, that's what I think the writer of Hebrews is getting at here. He's like, he's saying to the people like, you know, where, where we have inclinations to throw away what we have in Christ for, you know, that, that pleasure in the moment, whatever that might be, like, don't don't do it because like Esau, like Esau, he realized afterwards what he had done and he he sought that blessing with his father. He wanted that blessing and and Isaac was like, Esau, this this is like like you gave it away, like you traded it away. Like it's not something that you can just take back. And the writer of Hebrews is is comparing that and he's using that example and saying, in the same way. Don't throw away what you have in Christ, folks. This is, it's, it's rich what we have in Christ. It's, it's the depth of the richness of the inheritance that we have in Christ. And, you know, again, this sort of, I guess in a way, uh, really puts the spotlight on, on an idea of cheap grace. Like this idea like, well, you know, uh, I, I've received forgiveness in Christ. Um, he's forgiven my sins. You know, he, he's, I, I'm, I have this grace in Christ. And so, you know, when I keep screwing up again and again and whatever, even if it's like sort of, you know, purposeful and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not really making the decisions I need to make to turn from sin in my life. You know, I'm allowing it to have dominion over me. I'm allowing it, I'm allowing sinful behavior, um, in, in whatever form to be present in my life and ah, whatever, like God's grace is going to cover me, you know, he, he's, he's, he's faithful and he's good and he's loving. And, and there's a warning in this where the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, our inheritance in Christ, that the, the birthright that we have been given, it's not something to just treat um, lightly and to throw away. Uh, again and again, because we think that God will, will you know, that, that we, because of his grace. It's like, no, the grace of God was costly and what it cost God, what it, it, that Jesus actually went to the cross and, and, and paid for our debt. And so, again, it's, and the warning is don't, don't be like Esau. So let's go on. And, and this is where, as, as the writer goes on here, he comes uh, and, and uses another really, um, you know, an, an example in Israel's history, an event that was at the very center of their identity as the people of God, and that is Mount Sinai. And so let's, let's read this, what he says in verse 18 and on. 
You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. And that's that's a quote there. Uh, that's, that's referencing uh, Exodus 19. Then he goes on, he says, the sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you've come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So there's this contrast, in a sense, presented here, and one is Mount Sinai, which was a central event in the history of God's people, where uh, God came down on the mountain, the people of God were, were just absolutely terrified of the presence of God. They, they didn't want, they, they couldn't even touch the mountain, and you can, we can read about that in Exodus 19, and the writer of Hebrews says, and he contrasts it and he says, you know, you, you're not coming back to that old mountain. Like that was a, that was an incredible event. And it was, you know, the holiness of God, the presence of God was so powerful. The people couldn't even go near it. They needed a mediator there for them in, in Moses. And he's like, you're not coming to that mountain. In fact, you're coming to Mount Zion which is the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. And he's, he's speaking now a little bit in metaphors, but he's saying like, in Christ, this is what we've entered into as the children of God, the inheritance that we have as sons and daughters of God, as we've been made new creations in Christ. He says, you, we, we've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly who are just like in a state of joyful existence in the presence of God. We've come to the church of the firstborn. That's that's Jesus himself. You have come, we've come to God, the judge of all men. And then he says that there's a really interesting phrase there, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. The, I think he's referring to Hebrews 11. Again, those who've gone before us, those righteous men who now in Christ have been made perfect. And we've come to Jesus who's the mediator of a new covenant for us. And to the sprinkled blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And and what that's referring to there is, is the blood of the first sacrifice. We have the first sacrifice recorded in scripture by Abel. And he's saying, so he's he's really again he's contrasting the sacrifice of Jesus and his eternal sacrifice his new covenant that's been enacted by his blood is just speaks a way better word than the sacrificial system that came beforehand that started with Abel and then throughout the old testament and so the writer's saying he's he's saying like like as incredible as mount sinai was Think about what you have received. Think about what you have as the people of God. And so, 
he goes on and he says, in light of this, verse 25, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, and he's referring there to when God spoke to his people at Mount Sinai and gave the law, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth but now he is promised. And so he's again, he's, he's referring back to Mount Sinai where it says there in Exodus 19 verse 18 that the whole mountain trembled and, and like the presence of God, the voice of God was so powerful in that moment. He's saying, but now, but now he's promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken that is created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. I I did a podcast um, some a while ago, actually did a podcast around this, these verses here about the shaking and the shaking that we're feeling right now and, and the remarkable changes all around us in the world and in our society and in our, our country and uh, you know, talking about this very obvious shaking that we're feeling and shakings that are yet to come. And again, just the need to be rooted in God and be rooted in Christ because sh- when shaking comes and the things that can be shaken, the things that won't remain, the things of this earth that are not eternal, the temporal things, then yeah, you know, there there is going to be a lot of tumult. There's going to be a lot of chaos. There's going to be a lot of uneasiness as people realize and and perhaps, and, and hopefully not, but the things that we've put our trust in in our lives that they, they don't hold us, that they can't hold us. And so the writer's saying, therefore, in light of this, in light of what's coming, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. I may have mentioned this before too when I did that previous podcast. I honestly can't remember, but uh, when it speaks there in verse 29 of our God being a consuming fire, that's uh, a quote from Deuteronomy 4 where it's talking about God's jealousy for his people, his His consuming fire, the jealousy he has for his chosen people. And it's tied to idolatry. It's tied to the people engaging in uh, adulterous practices that where they, they were embracing idolatry and forgetting the covenant that they had with God and the worship of God and the re- and their need to worship God and, and to uh, to worship him and not uh, other things that are substitutes for him. And so this this is a this is a warning, but it's also it's actually incredible hope because of what Jesus has done. We're receiving a kingdom, God's kingdom, that that he is welcoming and inviting us into. And, you know, we're joining angels who are there, thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. We're joining all the saints that have gone before us. Like, this is not, uh, this is not in any way a 
a, a place or an existence that is without joy or without incredible, incredible, um, just passion and, and, and full of life because of who God is. And so the writer, he, he encourages the people. He's saying, you know, in light of all this, in light of um, what Jesus has done for you, in light of what we have, the inheritance that we have, uh, in light of what's coming, um, in light of what's going on even right now in eternity, no matter what comes in your life, no matter the shaking that you may experience in your life, and I think this is where it gets really real for us because we are experiencing shaking right now and a level of trauma and a level uh, of, of just discouragement and a level of where things feel out of control like we've we've never experienced before and, and we're in and fatigue, the fatigue that we're feeling. And, and there's a lot of things that are being shaken. And I think that, that there's an aspect to that and this is kind of where I want to end today and maybe camp on this here for just a few minutes. But that's that's an aspect of the time that we're in right now that I think God, I feel that God would have us embrace because I'm not saying he's causing this, but he's allowing it and he's allowing it for his good purposes. And, and it's meant to go, you know, to lead us to kind of go in this time going, God, what are you saying to me in this time where th- where I don't have control? In in the situations where I don't have control and any thought that we have control is just an illusion because we don't have control. God, what are you saying to me in this time? What are you what are you leading me to? What do you what do you want to do in me? And so that's the encouragement here is that we we have a kingdom that regardless of what happens on this earth, regardless of what's going to come, regardless of of the days to come. And, and you know, there's an aspect to this too of, of what we're going through and not, not to minimize it, not to somehow just kind of go, oh, look, you think this is bad. Have you read the word? Have you read scripture? Do you, do you realize what's coming? Not, not that, because I think that people are, well, obviously legitimately struggling, legitimately there, there is things during this time that are really difficult for people. And I think that we, we need to understand that. We need to have empathy and, and also an awareness of what's going on in ourselves. But there is really stark words in scripture. Just reading something earlier today in Revelation 9 that, that gripped me when I thought about what it says there about, uh, a plague coming on the earth, plagues coming on the earth, and a third of the earth um, perishing. A third. That 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 is, you know. Again, this is where, and I'm not I'm not making light of COVID. I'm not in any way trying to minimize it. But a third of the earth perishing is billions of people. And what it and what what struck me was there was that there was that aspect of. Uh, and I'm not trying to be uh, fatalistic in any sense here or to be, you know, really negative. But what struck me when I read those words in Revelation was what came next. And that was that it says the rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent 
of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. That's that's materialism. That's that's all of that. That's just worshiping created things. Idols that cannot see or hear or talk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts. That's that's the embracing of all sorts of other spiritual practices that are not of the Lord. That we, again, we, we so easily slough off. Their sexual, they did not repent of their sexual immorality or their thefts, which, you know, you think about corporate thefts, you think about uh, the, the corruption in corporations in our world and, and government corruptions. And, and, and despite the plague that came on the earth, still the people did not repent. And so for the people of God in this, there there is... Uh, there is warning, and there's also, though, what it's revealing to us is the what the solution is, what what are uh, where there is safety, where 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 we need to go in these days, and that is we need to pursue the kingdom that cannot be shaken. When you're rooted in Christ, when you are uh, when you are following his kingdom, when you are working for the advancement of his kingdom, when his kingdom is the thing that is at the the very top of your motivation in your life and and on earth as it is in heaven, when it's when it's you know seeking first his kingdom and and his righteousness above all else, that's where we need to be. We don't know what's going to come. We know that there's going to be shaking. That, that, is, that is clear in scripture and not to be fatalistic, but to go, we need God. We, and, and, and that in God, in, in our relationship with God, in who we are as God's people, that's where regardless of what comes on this earth, there is safety. And that's where, because we have an eternal inheritance. I'm not, I'm not promising in that. I'm not, I'm not in any way trying to communicate, you know, uh, the promise of health, the promise of safety, that nothing is going to befall the followers of Jesus on this earth. Revelation again makes clear there's martyrdom. There's those who we we will we may very well in our lifetimes have to make a decision. Will I stand for Christ in the face of death? Will I stand for Christ? Will I stand and be counted as a follower of Jesus even in the face of death? Knowing that God has all things under control. He's sovereign. And that we're, we are, our, our, our resting place, our, I shouldn't say our resting place, our final, uh, the, the finish line for us, the, the place where we're going is Mount Zion. The place where we're going is the city of the living God. And, and maybe, you know, just as I'm thinking about that, just remember the words in Hebrews 11 where it says, um, by faith, they realized that they were strangers and aliens on this earth, but they were looking, they were longing and hoping and, and, and operating in faith for the better country, a heavenly one that was to come, a, a city, it says, that he had prepared for them. And that's where we're going. And so, friends, amidst very challenging days, amidst... Uh, lots of shaking amidst things that we're not used to. We can say, 
let's let's make let's make every effort to pursue holiness let's let's pursue jesus let's not give up what we have in him let's keep pressing forward let's keep our thoughts fixed on him our eyes fixed on him as we journey with him in our lives bless you um thanks for being here again and um trust that we will see you again next time lord willing